0: Citadel Securities opens a Tokyo office for U.S. Treasury investors. The office will help Ken Griffin's company expand its footprint in Asia, where it's been operating since 2009. And around most major U.S. cities, home values are cooling off and sellers are cutting their asking prices except in Chicago. I'll talk with Crane's residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin about that and other local housing news.
1: I mean, we've now got 14 months of double-digit price increases, but we're in the 13 percent range. Places like Phoenix, as I've said many times, San Diego, several others were up in the 30 percent range. So they went absolutely nuts during the boom, so there was much more dramatic pullback.
0: I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, September 1st. They called, Trust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Hi there and welcome to Crane's Daily Gist Live brought to you by Wintrust. I'm your host, Amy Guth, and I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. I'm singing that phrase more and more every week, Dennis.
1: <laughs> it's, true. it's true. One day you'll you'll have a whole tap dance routine that you'll come out with. Yeah,
0: that's for sure. I'm don't think I'm not working on that.
1: All singing, all tap dancing. <laughs> Amy Guth, host of the podcast,
0: residential real estate, the musical. <laughs> that's what we're ridiculous and off the rails already. Let's get to some stories. So it is month's end. So that means you've done some math for us. Tell us what you know.
1: You know, what's really interesting is, it, you know, it's not only months' end, but it's summer's end, and the real estate market nationwide has changed dramatically. And we've got two recent reports that show Chicago isn't doing that, which I find really fascinating. So we have um, data from on price cuts from July, on the number of homes with price cuts, and we have data from June, the best data from the national index, Case-Shiller on uh, home home price increases. What the two of them say, and we can get into the specifics, but what the two of them together say is the market is cooling off dramatically in nearly every big city in America, but not Chicago. Of course, that's time stamped. That's one of those sets of data is July, one is June. We're now in late August. Things could have changed, um, and we will wait until the subsequent month's data to be sure. But as of now, it appears from those two reports that the, the dramatic cooling that is being commented on in the national media hasn't really hit here yet.
0: Yet again, we're kind of doing our own thing, not following what the rest of the country is doing kind of reading the tea leaves a bit, what is, what indications you have as to why that is?
1: Well, so this has been going on for, in in a lot of ways, this goes back decades, but it's been going on throughout this pandemic boom. We boomed, but we weren't as boomy as other cities. We, our prices went up, but they didn't skyrocket. Um, They, I mean, we've now got 14 months, according to Kay Shiller, uh, 14 months of double digit price increases increases of more than 10% each month from the same month a year earlier 14 months of that but we're in the 13% range places like phoenix as i've said many times san diego several others were uh, tampa were up in the 30% range so they went absolutely nuts during the boom so there was a lot more a much more dramatic pullback Um, That's why, and then there was here. And that's why, for example, this price cutting story is really interesting. This was a look at how many homes that sold in July, uh, I'm sorry, how many homes on the market in July had price cuts in each of 20, well, actually, it was in about 90 cities. But I pulled out the data on the biggest 20, because that's really sort of our peer group. And in 19 of those 20 cities, more homes on the market in July 2022 had price cuts than in July 2021. Exactly the opposite in Chicago as well as in Lake County because those are two different metro areas uh, according to the census. Uh, in Chicago and in, in the Chicago metro and in the Lake County metro era, metropolitan statistical area there were fewer homes with price cuts in July 2022 than in July 2021. And the headline we wrote said it all we're cutting prices less because we don't have to. Um, in a lot of those cities, prices had gone up so much that when interest rates started uh, rising a little bit and, and there was a threat of a recession, buyers pulled back dramatically and the whole market had to shift. And so sellers have been cutting prices quite a bit. Didn't happen here because our prices didn't go up quite as much. Same, The same is true with the Case-Shiller Index. Now, that again, that's data for June. Case-Shiller is a national index looking at an enormous amount of data. So the data we get in August is actually a little bit stale. It's from June, but it's the best measure really of how our market is is operating compared to other markets. And once again, is it 19, 18 out of 20 um, of the major metro areas had uh, lower price growth in July than in previous months. And that's also true nationwide, four months when the price growth has been smaller than the one before. But in Chicago, it's been stable. We've been at that 13% range, 12.9 to 13.1% for five consecutive months. So lower price growth, but then... You know, it, we didn't we didn't have as much to pull back from. I'm trying to yeah. I'm sort of trying to make a segue into the harder they come, the harder they fall. So we can right. do a whole Jimmy Cliff thing. But um, the the just the idea that our conservative market, which was the slowest during the recovery, is also one of the slowest dur of the big cities during this pandemic boom, and it might mean we don't know yet. It might mean that if others start into really sort of a recessionary housing market, maybe we don't. Once again, we gotta watch the data in subsequent months to find out. But for now it's pretty good news that if your house is on the mar- or was on the market in July, and it may also be true in August, though we don't have the data yet, that you weren't as panicked and needing to slash prices as sellers in many other cities were.
0: That's so interesting that here on this side of things, it's it's kind of translating into a sense of stability.
1: yeah, and it's really, and that's good to know, because um, I have some numbers on uh, Phoenix. We you know, we talked about Phoenix month after month after month when the case Schiller reports had Phoenix uh, with prices up more than thirty percent every month from a year before, and we were in the thirteen percent range. Phoenix now, let's see, in the latest, Phoenix was up 20.6%. Is that right? Yeah, 20.6%. So that that's still bigger price growth than in Chicago. But compared to 33% where they were before, um, it's a big slowdown. And we just don't yet have to worry about that happening. Emphasis on the yet.
0: On the yet, right. I'll be very curious to see what happens when we have the next, the following months, Case Shiller data to look at, because that will be really telling. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a look at some houses. Last week we talked a little bit about uh, a house owned by the widow of uh, John Hughes, the filmmaker. I think by the time we were finished talking, that thing had sold. It,
1: yeah. Or it had gone under contract. The sale hasn't closed, but uh, probably around the time we were uh, recording this last week, it. Landed a buyer. It's a contingent contract, so we don't we don't know what the contingency is. Often, it's the buyers still have to sell their their uh, existing home or something like that. But it went under contract. It was on the market only about a week, or it was I should say it was on the public market only about a week. It had been privately listed for a few months, and then it debuted on the multiple listing service, and almost immediately was snatched up still is under contract, hasn't sold yet. So we don't know what it will sell for. The asking price was $15 million. And generally, if something goes that quickly, it sells for pretty close to the asking price. Um, this is, I, I think I said when we talked about it going on the market, assuming it sells for more than $10 million, and that seems likely. It will only be the second time a property in Lake Forest has sold for over $10 million, and the first time was this property, the same property in 2018 when Nancy Hughes bought it. She bought it in 2018. She died in late 2019, and then now in 2022, her heirs have it on the market. It's on about five acres. We saw that beautiful lakefront. Um, It's a... It's quite a property, and it will be very interesting to see what it closes at. Once again, I think it's probably close to $15 but we don't really know.
0: So in theory, it could almost kind of beat its own record.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, we had to come back to that one. I was so surprised. As soon as we finished, pretty much, I saw that news. I thought, well, there you go.
1: Yeah. I don't know that I have seen a, a property at over $10 million sell quite so quickly, though, of course, that's what's been going on this year. You know we've had, we've had $8 million homes sell without ever going on the market. We had the one where somebody was walking down the street and saw the real estate agent out front with the photographer and said, is this for sale? And it sold then without ever getting listed. The, this end of the market has been on fire. So uh, this, this one might set all kinds of records.
0: I can't wait to see what that upper end of the market looks like when we're having this conversation towards the end of the year, maybe even in early January, because I remember last year, I feel like there were a couple of higher end homes that sold like in the last two days, right? Like New Year's Eve, I think one closed.
1: Well, you know what's interesting? We're at 99 sales right now, so far this year at $4 million or more. Right now, late August, it was 104 at the end of the year last year. So it seems quite likely, unless we, like, drop off a cliff, it seems quite likely that we surpass that 104 figure, which was a record. And as you recall, prior to that, the average for the previous five years was 51 sales. Then it goes to 104. And this year, it might surpass 104. We may hit 100 by Labor Day.
0: Yeah, I was going to say we were losing our minds about it last year. Let's see (laughs) what happens this year. It's
1: true. All
0: right. Well, let's move to another house. Um, There's so many cool houses on the list this week. Um, This one is a long vacant Mediterranean villa in LaGrange. Tell me about this.
1: This, you know, this was foreclosed. It was lost in foreclosure in 2011, and it's not clear to me why, but it had it sat unsold for a very long time. And then in 2021, uh, some rehabbers bought it. And what's really interesting is they're not really flippers. they uh, It's a, a woman who builds houses in the city and her contractor. And they generally, well, they build new construction. And she said they were looking for a project. Somebody showed them this. And she essentially bought it on a dare. So... Why nobody had in 11 years or in 10 years, we don't know. Now, 11 years after it was foreclosed, it's on the market with her rehab finished. It's at 1.2 million dollars. She bought it in 2021 for 342,000. and she did so much. But she part of what she did is retain things like this quatrefoil window we see. This this particular picture shows so much of the house because you've got that quatrefoil window in the door, the four circles, and it's it's what's known as bottle bottom glass, little round uh, bits of glass. And then look at the two doorways on the side, which have those sort of Gothic scalloped uh, tops. This is what this house was built to look like in sometime in the nineteen. 19- Twenties uh, we know it was completed by nineteen thirty um and then and all that is so much of that is still there. much of the second floor has been redone. But a lot of what she did is when she put in new baths, she tried, she tried to pick up on things like this quatrefoil uh, door. This is the living room. That orange tile, I assumed that was a new accent she had put in, but no, that's original. And above, it's sort of hard to tell, but there's this sort of nook. She It wasn't really clear what it was for, but those shutters open. I don't know if you would hang a crucifix in there or what, but um, it's, it's kind of an interesting spot. And uh, so it has all this great, all these great vintage features, and then she put in new ones, like as I said, the tile floors and the new bathrooms and things. It's on a street called Calle View, um, or I guess I should pronounce it the way people in Lagrange do, Calle View. Um, but if you grew up in California as I did, you know C A L L E is calle or street, um, and it's. I, I, yeah, so it was sort of a larger piece of property. Now everything else on Caye View is sort of a 70s, 80s, much more conventional homes. And then this, which was designed to feel like, you know, a little spot on the Mediterranean. This room with the um, rusticated beams and the diagonally laid planks above, those built-in bookcases next to the fireplace, stone fireplace. This is just such a wonderful room. They believe, but I couldn't confirm, that this was designed by, um, I just lost it, Harold Zook, the architect of the Pickwick Theater in, in Park Ridge and many other places, um, couldn't confirm that. And one of the reasons it's hard to confirm is there's not a big there's not a spider web. I think you remember when we talk about Zook houses, there's always a spider web rendered in glass or wood, like in a door or a window. There's not one here, um, which would have been a, a tell. But uh, it's so beautiful, whether it's from Zook or not. It's just a really great house and again it sat empty for more than a decade and along came these people who said we can save that and they did i mean look at this nice beams here this is another view of one of those doors i just think this is such a sweet house and i think i said it's on the market at 1.2 million dollars
0: and she bought it for how much again 300 something?
1: 342 wow it needed everything they did um, climate systems the the furnace and uh, water heater had both been ripped out of the basement. It had, the basement had been flooded. They had to mitigate for that. Um, they really, like, they did it stem to stern. And we'll, if we get to some of the upstairs photos, you'll see the upstairs is all new. The kitchen, too, has a lot of new cabinetry and appliances and that sort of thing, but over on the right, that wonderful arched entrance to the breakfast nook with the built-in banquette seating and really beautifully laid planks Diagonally, um, just they did a lot. They kept everything they could, and then what they brought in complements it very well.
0: And you can tell. I mean, you can you can really tell those details in the photos of of what they worked to save it, because they really stand out. And I think they did such a good job of highlighting those details. Like these doors, they look like they're from you know this like Tudor era kind of thing. You know, they look so interesting.
1: Yeah, and look at this bathroom. So you see, it's it's not actually quatrefoil. It's sort of um, diamond tile. But it picks up that whole concept for, of the Mediterranean revival from the 20s. That arched shower would be original, though they've put in new fixtures. And then bottle bottle bottom glass in the window. So this room is sort of a new version of the old house. And just I, I, I'm really pleased with what they did.
0: And and then modern details, you know, you can see in the the photo of the bathroom, there's this yellow cabinet for the sink and kind of a more modern looking mirror. So they've they've done a lot of very cool updates. So uh, folks can head to ChicagoBusiness.com and check out photos of this house. Um, Let's go to another one. So this one in the headline, I love this phrase, the city melts away at this house beside the North Branch.
1: Oh, and it does. That, so that's something that the seller said when she spoke to me, and you can see that it does. So they're on Windsor in Ravenswood Manor, where uh, they're on the west side of the river. So the street ends at um, the North Branch. Their yard ha- or their property has 135 feet of frontage on the North Branch. They have permanent rights for a dock, or, or I should say rights for a permanent dock, And they have one, which we'll see. But So this is interesting. Here you're standing on Windsor. This doesn't look like much. This is a a narrow house. Who knows? But it's actually turned sideways to the street. And look at that second floor. What's really interesting is when they moved in, they had this. And on the opposite end of the house were rooftop decks, flat rooftop decks. They enclosed them to make them rooms in part they said, because why would you sit up on the roof and look at the river when you can go down to it and sit, uh, you can actually see in this picture, you can sit um, on their deck at the top of the bank or go down to their dock at the water level. So they said, you know, we don't really need rooftop decks. We need more space. Turn those into rooms. They also did a lot with the interior, trying to pick up on some of the original details. These arches in the fireplace are new. There was a fireplace. They added the arches, which pick up the arches of the doorways that flank the fireplace. Really a nice interior, but what you're really getting is the river. 135 feet of the North Branch.
0: It feels like being in a tree house. I mean, there's so much detail in the house. There's so many interesting details to look at with all this beautiful wood that's in there. And yet your eye goes right to all of these windows surrounded by trees and all this great vegetation around the river.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think that would be true. They've got great details. Let's stop here and look at this column. When they did the rehab, you know, it had an old kitchen. They opened it up. They put in, for example, the column you see here supporting cabinetry and that column that's a miniature version of larger columns we see elsewhere in the house flanking a doorway. I mean, they really, it, it is a detailed interior, and that's great. You're not like sitting in a shed looking out at the river. Right. However, you still really are drawn to look out at the river. Uh, in the dining room, they have these walls of windows. And here, this is the primary bedroom where. Uh, So this is one of those old porches or rooftop decks, and they turned it into a room where you've got the river on one side and this room faces south, you'd have the sun coming in. It it looks really good, but let's take a look at the river because that's really where this property goes beyond, beyond. So you sit here and look at the water, you go down to your dock, and again, they have rights um, for a permanent dock, some homes don't. And what she told me is, one, The river never freezes because the um, Howard Street pumping station, which is about four miles north, a couple of miles north up the river, puts warm water in the river, so it never freezes down here where they are. So you come down here to your dock, and it's going to, obviously the trees aren't going to be green, but it's going to look like this all the time with the the water open. And you can boat uh, either in in a... Kayak or canoe or in a powerboat from here north to Wilmette or south, you, you can go to the, the locks on uh, where the river enters the lake, or you could also continue down the south branch past Chinatown, Bridgeport, uh, and they've done all that. They keep a pontoon boat. So, this is a pretty spectacular setting and like a dream house for anybody in Chicago. They bought the house 30 years ago. Why would you ever leave a house like this? I know that's your next question. Exactly. Well, because uh, the woman of the house learned to fly a seaplane and they found a home in Wisconsin where they can dock the seaplane at the house. So she, what she said to me is, I don't think anybody would want me landing a seaplane on the Chicago River. Probably. Not. So after living like this for all this time, there, if you can imagine taking it up a notch, they're taking it up a notch to a place where you don't just go out to your dock and jump in your kayak. You go out to your jo- dock, You go out to your dock and jump into your airplane.
0: I was going to say the only thing I think that could outdo, <laughs> I just ran down to the dock and kayaked to the loop is. I took a seaplane, and <laughs> I think that's the only thing that could outdo that.
1: Yeah, and and she said we wouldn't have left if it weren't for that. And it's really, you know, they've been there for 30 years. Just imagine going down to this dock with a cup of coffee in the morning on a cold day. It might be tough on an icy day because even if the river isn't frozen, your steps might be icy. But even so, going down there and there would be birds. Um, One of the things I like on the North Branch is there are a lot of teams, crew teams, that practice up and down the North Branch. You'd see them passing, see the kayakers, or be a kayaker yourself. It's It's a pretty remarkable spot within the city of Chicago.
0: Yeah, that's the other part that it's that it's still within the city. I mean, and you would feel so removed. You would kind of have it's like you have your own your like little sanctuary away from everything.
1: I think if we had just put up this picture and said, "So where is this?" Somebody would have said, "You know, it's out oh yeah. miles from the city out in northern Illinois, northwest Illinois or up in Wisconsin or something like that." But it's in Ravenswood Manor. It's within the city of Chicago.
0: But that's a new social media game for you. You could just put a picture and say, where is this? Go. Where
1: am I this time? Yeah. That's...
0: <laughs> where in the world is Dennis Radkin today? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next house. This is one of those houses that sometimes we talk about these and it's like you, you, you have to have a, a wardrobe for the house. Oh, yeah. This is definitely one of those. So this is a 1960s, very glamorous house that is for sale in Lincolnwood. Tell me about this because the owner had a pretty interesting uh, past of, with connected to vaudeville.
1: She did, and I think she had uh, the wardrobe to go with the house because her, her uh, granddaughter, who is also one of the agents listing the house, said that she was very... Her name was Gladys. She had... Uh, I can't remember. She was married a few times, so I can't remember her last name, but uh, Gladys, who was born in the 19-teens, was still... When she died at 105, dressing glamorously. And this is the house that she designed in 1959. Um, she has kids. She's marrying a man with kids. They're creating a new home for themselves, and they design this house. She designs this house. And it starts you know, when you walk in, you're surrounded by mirrors, this mirrored front hallway. You got the chandelier. Um, and from what I hear, Gladys expected you to dress accordingly. And she oh, did. Oh, sure. Um, she just died uh, last year, or sorry, she died a couple of years ago at 105 years old, lived here from 1959, and she put in, so there's this wrought iron you see on the stairs. Also, there's sort of wrought iron separating the dining room so that you act, the dining room is like in some of these split levels, really just a, a separate space, but it's cordoned off with wrought iron. And look at, I mean, this room, you can just imagine the martini parties that would have been had here
0: absolutely
1: we've got the conversation pit white couch we've got the white shag carpet which apparently is original Um, this other conversation pit over here with the peach colored chairs uh, mirrored walls that is gladys in a portrait hanging over the fireplace
0: as well it should be gladys (laughs) apparently
1: she reigned over the house and still though departed reigns over the house from that portrait i
0: love this here's the thing though you need that furniture. You need Gladys's furniture to go with this house because it's, I mean, the this, this stage is set in this house, for sure.
1: Yeah, you just need sort of giant hoop earrings and oh, yeah. yellow and green caftans, Kaftan, yeah, there flowy, you go, exactly. Fabric,
0: gold lame situation, Yeah, for sure. She
1: was fascinating. I couldn't find a whole lot. Um, she was known to the family to have danced, to, to have been a vaudeville dancer before she got married. Um, They were, she and and another woman were called the Glamour Sisters, and um, they may have danced with Eddie Cantor, who was a giant vaudeville uh, and early radio and movie star. Uh, Then she gets married, and again, uh, a couple of marriages, she was a widow. Uh, Her last marriage was to the man who owned the Erie LaSalle body shop, And the family still owns that. You might remember they had a real famous sign in River North, which when the property was sold for redevelopment, they moved the sign. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's off Milwaukee Avenue now. Um, Just a really interesting family.
0: Yeah, a lot of personality in this house, too, for sure.
1: Yeah and apparently a lot of personality in Gladys according to her granddaughter.
0: <laughs> Definitely. That personality came through in the house. I love all the little pink details and this there's this little awning over the the breakfast nook window that looks like a like a little shop window. It's very cute. You can absolutely picture Gladys dressed to the nines having her morning coffee there or whatever.
1: Yeah. In the 90s I had neighbors like this who had decorated like this in the 1950s and they kept it and it was just so fun to go to their house. The basement was like a circus theme. That awning reminds me, it was all red and white with paintings of clowns and things like that. Oh, boy. I loved that. And when they sold, when I'm sorry, when they both passed away and their children sold the house, it was all painted out. And I just thought, ugh, you have just given up such a treasure.
0: Also, um, props to Gladys for keeping white shag carpet clean that long. That's impressive. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's extremely a really good point. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good on her.
1: White shag carpet is, you can just imagine, I'm i am guessing she didn't have a dog or a cat because that would have made it impossible.
0: If, if she did, it was a, a white cat, for sure. And
1: look at this, sleeping like a queen. Look at that headboard. It's like your crown is there for you.
0: <laughs> How do you not wake up like, you know, Sleeping Beauty or Snow White when yes. you open your eyes, good morning, and birds are chirping, it's happening. That is your morning if you sleep in that bed, for sure. That's
1: All right. totally true.
0: Well, Dennis, what is coming up in the week ahead?
1: Like I said, it's late August. The The market is, is not happening all that much. So I'm hoping to see, uh, as I said, I think we might cross 100 sales at $4 million or more. Um, and I'm also expecting that right after Labor Day, that rush starts. And by the time we meet back here Wednesday, I have some big houses or fabulous houses to show you. But right at the moment, we're sort of slow.
0: Yeah. Well, we shall see what happens over the Labor Day weekend. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dennis. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, Chicago unicorn company Extinet is moving its headquarters to Texas. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Are you thinking about earning your MBA? With a fully online iMBA from the University of Illinois Geese College of Business, you can earn your degree on your schedule without ever leaving your home. You'll learn from Geese College of Business's top faculty and build a global network of experienced peers. At an all-in cost of $23,000, it's no wonder the iMBA comes with a 96% student satisfaction rate. To learn more, visit onlinemba.illinois.edu.
1: This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth.
0: Citadel Securities has opened an office in Tokyo to sell U.S. fixed-income offerings in Japan, turning to the biggest overseas investors in treasuries to help boost its global expansion. Citadel said in a statement on Wednesday that in addition to U.S. government bonds, the company will offer dollar interest rate swaps to Japanese institutions. It plans to start operations once its membership in the Japan Securities Dealers Association has been granted. Bloomberg noted in reporting that Citadel is one of the largest markets. Market makers in treasuries and dollar rate swaps, serving financial firms in more than 55 jurisdictions. The Tokyo office will help Ken Griffin's company expand its footprint in Asia, where it's been operating since 2009. The firm has more than 200 workers in the Asia Pacific region. And Japanese investors hold the largest pile of treasuries outside the U.S., over $1.2 trillion worth as of June, but have been trimming their overseas bond exposure as hedging costs have climbed. Cook County is moving hundreds of its downtown workers to a loop office tower for several years as it renovates its own workspaces, a move that provides at least a temporary lift for the vacancy-ridden downtown office market. Crane's Danny Ecker reported, citing county officials, that the county has leased more than 106,000 square feet across five floors at 161 North Clark as part of the plan to modernize offices in three nearby office buildings. Nearly 600 workers are slated To work out of the new space on a relatively short term deal that runs through September of 2026. Ecker noted that the lease helps fill available office space in the heart of the loop at a challenging time for office landlords, with the rise of remote work pushing the downtown office vacancy rate to an all time high. The loop has been especially hard hit during the pandemic as companies have decamped for newer and more recently renovated buildings in areas like the West Loop, River North, and the Fulton Market District. The county is filling available space previously occupied by consulting firm Accenture and tax advisory and accounting firm Grant Thornton, offices that were virtually move-in ready to allow the county to set up quickly and avoid having to spend heavily on building out space. The new lease and the renovation plans were prompted by the county receiving a billion dollars from the American Federal Rescue Plan Act passed last year. A grant meant to be used on a wide range of services and capital improvements to help communities recover from the impact of the public health crisis. The county is also hiring around 200 new workers to help take on new local projects and initiatives. 15 years after the housing bust, an investor in a big condo complex near O'Hare is still struggling to clean up what it left behind. Crane's Albie Galoon reported that a venture that owns the 185 units in Catherine Court's Condos, which is a nearly 500-unit property just east of the airport, is facing a foreclosure suit about two years after trying unsuccessfully to sell the condos in a bankruptcy auction. A judge recently appointed a receiver to take over the condos. Galoon noted in his reporting that the Chicago property is one of the few condo projects in the area yet to recover from the collapse of the condo market, which started around 2007. During the preceding boom, developers snapped up multifamily buildings in the city and suburbs and sold off the apartments as condos, profiting at the then-wide gap between rental and for-sale values. But as Galoon also noted, after demand for condos plunged, many developers were stuck with units that they just couldn't sell. And that's what happened at Catherine Courts, a four-building complex on North Cumberland just south of the Kennedy that opened in 1970. The backstory there is that a venture led by Chicago architect Guido Neri paid $48.4 million in 2005 for the complex, which at the time was a rental property, and then launched a condo conversion. But sales stalled after the market tanked and unable to sell the 185 units, the venture rented them out instead. And so now the property is a mix of both apartments and condos. The venture sought refuge in Chapter 11 in 2019 amid a series of disputes with the property's Condo Association and also owed its lender, Harwood Heights-based Parkway Bank, more than $14 million. To pay off the debt, the venture in September of 2020 got a judge's okay to sell the 185 condos, but a sale never happened, and the judge dismissed the bankruptcy case in January of 2021. Then in June of this year, Parkway filed to foreclose on the 185 condos, alleging that the venture had defaulted on its loan. And though Parkway Bank still has to clear multiple legal hurdles, Galoon noted the bank could ultimately seize the units through foreclosure and eventually sell them to another investor. Wireless network provider Extinet Systems, one of a dozen or so Chicago tech companies that reached a $1 billion valuation, is moving to Texas. Crane's John Pletz reported that Extinet, which employs about 315 people, including 120 at its Lyle headquarters, is moving to the Dallas suburb of Frisco. The company's departure follows Caterpillar's decision to move its headquarters from Deerfield to the Dallas suburb of Irving. Pletz noted in his reporting that Extinet, which was founded 20 years ago by former U.S. robotics executive Ross Manier, makes wireless antenna networks that boost cellular coverage in sports arenas and other high-density facilities like colleges and hospitals. Private equity firms acquired a majority stake in the company in 2015. Some of Extonet's biggest customers are in Texas, including stadiums used by the Dallas Cowboys, San Antonio Spurs, and the Formula One racetrack in Austin. The company, which has about 25 workers in the Dallas area, said the move puts it closer to customers and industry partners and as pletz also noted dallas has long been a wireless communications hub with at and t's headquarters as well as the american headquarters for samsung and ericsson and the operations center for t-mobile like caterpillar extinet is relocating to a suburban master planned community in the dallas area Extinet will have about 150 workers at a 37,000-square-foot office in Frisco when the move is completed next year, though the company CEO told Cranes about 40 workers will remain in Lyle.